0: I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, do, I hope, I don't know if you know what you just sang. Um, what was that last line of that song? I didn't know that song, but it said something to the effect of, Lord, your will for my life, or something which, I, if you sang that, you're in trouble this morning, <laughs> because God hears those as prayers. Um, let me first say thank you very much to the church leadership and to the elders for the invitation um, I was really excited. I, I mentioned this morning at 8 o'clock, and I suppose it's probably more true at this 10 o'clock service, that when we come to Connect, we feel like we're with friends and family because um, we know so many of you. So it's really good, uh, good to be here. But I also consider it a big responsibility whenever I need to preach. You know, the Bible says that for preachers and teachers, you will be judged more strictly when it comes to what you said when you taught. And and I don't take that lightly as a preacher of the Word of God, but the responsibility is not just on my shoulders. It's on yours also, especially if you sang that last line of that song. Lord, your will for my life, because we're speaking about God's will now. Um, The Bible also says that, and speaking to Christians, that you mustn't let anyone come and sway you with teachings that are contrary to his word. Um, And so while I've got a huge sense of responsibility this morning, you do too. Um, I asked Howard and and, uh, John when I was asked to preach, you know, just what the guidelines are as far as me preaching is concerned, and they gave it to me, Um, but they also said, which really made me relax. They said they would like me to just be myself, how I would be at our church. They'd like me to be here, which I got very excited about because um, at our church, we're very interactive, So, um, and I enjoy that kind of response. So my introduction actually involves some response from you, which I'm hoping you'll be okay with engaging me in that way. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. The passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is found in Second Peter chapter 1. And we'll be reading initially from verse 5 to verse 11. And before we turn there, I'd like to use the introduction to not only engage you and to get you involved in the service, but more importantly, this is a passage of Scripture that when I was preparing, there were parts where I struggled. There were parts where I had to go back and think and look at what God was actually saying and seeing what the implications of those were. I always believe, and I say to our congregation, that when a pastor preaches, you must be able to go back to that passage afterwards and say, is that really what the Bible says? And is that really what the Bible means? Um, And so I encourage you to do the same. So I'd like to ask you a few questions first. My first question is, uh, are you okay with me asking you questions? If you are, show me your hand. Okay, you're doing well already. You're doing well already. My first question is, who wants to go to heaven? So before you put up your hand, before you put up your hand, Let me just remind you from Scripture that heaven is real and hell is real. Jesus spoke more about hell, actually, than he spoke about heaven. And he spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Gospels. So, with that as our backdrop, who would like to go to heaven? Show of hands, please. Thank you. You can put down your hand. Now, surely you can't get to heaven without faith. And so, I'd like to know from you this morning, who of you have faith in Jesus. Please put up your hands. Okay, you may put down your hands. Now the title of my message, by the way, this morning is, When Faith is Not Enough. So we're going to be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 5. And with that as the backdrop, the title being, When Faith is Not Enough, I've got one last question before I do the scripture reading. Who over here is sure that they're going to heaven? Please put up your hand. You can put your hand down again. Thank you very much. Let's read together from God's Word. Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 5. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will have a rich, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just so far, let's turn our thoughts to God in prayer. Lord, as we have said and as we have sung and prayed this morning, we desire your will for our lives. We thank you that you have revealed your will to us most clearly in your holy scriptures. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit, who inspired the writing of these scriptures all those many years ago, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds, open up our hearts and our understanding. So that even as we listen to your word, we won't be like like James says, those who listen without remembering or doing what it says, but that we would be doers of your word and that as we listen, we would listen intentionally all the time saying, Lord, we want your will for our lives and we desire to obey you. I pray that the collective meditation of our hearts together, even the words of my mouth would be acceptable and pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I shared with you earlier of how important it is for us to evaluate the preaching and the teaching that we listen to, that seems to have become more and more important in this day and age. There are so many people teaching and preaching things that don't line up with what the Bible says or what the Bible means. And as we read this passage of scripture from Second Peter chapter 1, Peter, uh, this letter itself is a circular letter. So basically, this letter was supposed to be sent to one church, and once they had read it and gone through the contents, um, it was supposed to be sent to the next church so that they could be taught or corrected as was applicable. Um, And this letter goes around, and Peter specifically, one of the things he's dealing with in this letter is the issue of false teachers. And I'm going to speak a little bit more about that later. But I'd like to look at this word faith, because the title of my message is When Faith is not enough. And when wondering where to begin, I took my cue from that old musical, Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, you remember it? The Sound of Music. Whenever you want to know where to start, they give you some advice. Okay, where's a good place to start? At the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with? And when you sing, you begin with? Okay, you know it. And when it comes to the Bible... Starting at the very beginning usually means Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth with the purpose of living in harmony, where peace and love would reign. But something went wrong. Sin entered the world through human disobedience, and our relationship with God was broken. And we were sent on a one-way trip, one-way trajectory to hell. This is still the problem with humanity today. God being perfect and wise and loving and desiring for us to do things His way, us being imperfect, unwise, always wanting to do things our our way, which is basically the definition of sin, wanting to do things our way instead of wanting to do it God's way. And that's why the world is like it is today, full of hatred and darkness and brokenness. And what I've shared with you now is basically the bad news of the gospel And fortunately, God didn't leave us in that state. If we stopped at that point, we'd be on our way to hell. Because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that there's no one righteous, not even those of us that put up our hands early on that said we have faith or we want to go to heaven. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but then the good news of the gospel comes in. But the gift of God is Is eternal life we've been singing about that life our God is mighty to save he gave us that life the most probably the most famous verse in the Bible John 3 verse 16 for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish should not die but have eternal life who will have eternal life whoever believes there's that word again You know, in the New Testament, the word that we translate as faith could have a variety of forms and meanings. It could be a noun, as in you have to have this thing, faith. Romans 5 said that we've been justified by faith. It could also be a verb, a doing word, which says that, and it's usually translated as believe, like in John 3, verse 16, or trust in. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Our own righteousness is like filthy rags, the Scripture tells us. And Ephesians chapter 2 explains it to us very well when it says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of works. Because if it was by works that we could be saved, the one that can do more works or better works might feel that we have earned this salvation or this forgiveness. And so we saved by grace you haven't Earned it, there's nothing that you can do to deserve it. The the words of the song by casting crowns, who am I, says it best, not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. And that's God's part, and He does it well. It's why Jesus could say when he died on the cross, it is finished. Because our faith is in him. And yet, Peter jumps in. In verse 5 of the passage that we read today, make every effort to add to your faith. Effectively, and that's the way I read it, seeming to say faith is not enough by saying that we need to add something to our faith another version says supplement something to your faith now a couple of years ago both my wife and I turned 40 um, and the doctor seems to be of the opinion that um, some of the things that our bodies need is not we're not getting it either from the food we're eating or whatever so we need to take these things called supplements I don't know if anybody's in that boat this is a good time also to put up your hand okay less people Your bones need calcium, so you take calcium supplements. Your muscles, if you exercise like I do sometimes to prevent cramps, um, you exercise and you get these cramps, so you need to take, make sure you're getting things like potassium and magnesium. Maybe you're at the stage where you don't get cramps from exercising, you're just laying in your bed and you get cramps. You also might need to take it. So there are these things that supplements, you need to add them to your diet because you're obviously not getting enough of them. And so to supplement means to add. So what does Peter mean when he says that we need to add these things to our faith? Well, let's have a look at what he says we need to add to our faith. Because, and this is one of the parts that I struggled in my preparation because I've always understood that isn't faith enough? Don't we believe that it's only by faith that we're saved? Why would Peter say that we need to add something? It had me a little bit concerned. I must be honest with you. But I'm hoping that by the time this message is over, your fears and mine will be allayed He says, add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. See, he's addressing a problem. You remember those false teachers I was telling you about? Well, there was a group of them and a group of Christians, apparently, who started believing that because they are saved by grace through faith alone— And that's not dependent on any works. That the the requirements of the moral law were now irrelevant. Meaning that because there is this thing called grace, and because I have faith, how I live doesn't really matter. And this was the problem, or one of the problems that Peter addresses with this letter. And it's not very different from how things are today. Nowadays, when you challenge people towards godliness, and holiness when you challenge people to be spending time in the word to be spending time in prayer when you challenge people to be fasting or sharing their faith with others we often get told we mustn't be legalistic and this is between me and God and my faith is my faith we don't hear much talk about what it means to be holy and to be godly put up your hand if you're holy Always less hands. I don't understand that, actually. But anyway, that's fine. That's fine. The Bible says, be holy because I am holy. You and I as Christians, as saints of God, have been set apart. So we are holy and called to be holy. Not always a very popular subject when it comes to putting off the things of the flesh and putting on those fruits of the Spirit. Notice how Peter from verse 5 to verse 7 continues to add one thing onto another. It's almost like a ladder. You've got those degrees. He says, you've got this faith, and it's through that faith that you've been saved. But now to that faith, add goodness. Got it? Goodness? Now to that faith and goodness, add knowledge. And to that, add self-control, and so on, and so on. Reaching the climax, and I don't think it's a, a coincidence, that what is the last one on the list? Love. If you look, want to know what the description of that, what does that love look like? We can easily turn to First Corinthians 13 and see what the level is of that love. But also notice how he, he seems to infer that We need to possess these qualities in increasing measure. So what he's saying is that you need to have some goodness. This year I had some goodness. But by next year, there needs to be more goodness evident in your life. You have some knowledge now, but next week you need to have more. Because he says in verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, what will happen? well, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Have you ever felt like your Christian walk is ineffective or unproductive? Or how would you feel if God were to give you and me an evaluation of our faith, our life with Him? And He says, Grant, no, Grant is ineffective and unproductive because if these qualities aren't evident in our lives, then that's The evaluation of us. Let's get a bit interactive for a while again. I'd like to hear from you, and this part, you won't put up your hands. You can actually speak back to me. It's fine. I'd like a list of things that are invisible. We can't see them, but we know that they exist. Air. Air. Patience. Gravity. Love. Angels. What is that? Wind. Forgiveness. God. What is that? Empathy. (laughs) (laughs) Wi-Fi. Germs. You all said such lovely spiritual things. You know, how do we know that these, all the things you mentioned, we can't see them. And yet... We were all confident that these things exist. How do we know that they exist? Well, we see the evidence of them. You've seen those two blue ticks. Why they're not replying? The blue ticks went through like 15 minutes ago already. (laughs) Evidence you can't see the Wi Fi, but it exists. Maybe that's what my faith lacks. Maybe that's why I'm ineffective and unproductive. Because you see, faith that doesn't show evidence. Does it exist? Well, how do you know that it exists? James asks the same question. He's saying, how can you say you have faith if I don't see works that provide evidence that show that there is faith? And this involves effort on our part. I think sometimes we feel that God, we might say a prayer or sing a song like that Lord your will in my life, my life is in your hands. And we sit here and we saying, okay, Holy Spirit, change me. The Holy Spirit can't change you when you're sitting doing nothing. He needs your active involvement. Work diligently. Second Timothy 2 verse 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God. There's, there's an effort. It's not just just somasu or just haphazardly. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Hebrews 4 verse 11 says something similar. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. So grace and duty are not incompatible. No, actually they are inextricably linked in the dynamics of spiritual transformation. If my desire is God's desire and God's desire for all of us We find in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, it comes right after 28, Lord I know the plans you have for me, plans, not that one, what is the, um, 8 verse 28, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined, he elected you, he chose you for this one purpose. What's the purpose? To be conformed into the image of his son. That's God's goal for your life. That's God's goal for my life, to make me look like Jesus. Do you look like Him now? If you're anything like me, not yet. You're getting But every situation you're in is to conform you into the image of His Son. God's done His part. We need to do our part. But here's the thing. We can't do our part without God's part. We find that in verse 9. Anyone who does not have them, speaking of these qualities, is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If I'm not portraying these qualities, Peter's saying, chances are you've forgotten that you've been cleansed, because you and I were on a trajectory towards hell. And he saved us. That's what the hymn Amazing Grace is all about. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was blind. But now I'm found and now I can see. That is amazing grace. And that's a good place to say amen. Amen. If you've been saved. Because that's what it's all about. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 is a beautiful verse. That says that for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So get this, you and I are sinners, every single one of us. God takes all of our sin, the sins we've done, might even be doing now, and are going to do all our sin, and he takes it and he places it on Jesus. doesn't stop there. He takes the righteousness of of Jesus, this high priest that was tempted in every way but never sinned, all that righteousness he takes and he places upon us if we receive him as our Lord and Savior. That's what he's done for me. That's what he's done for you if you've committed your life to him. So it's out of that place you will never be more righteous or you'll never be less righteous, irrespective of your performance. Have you failed him today, yesterday? Probably. Irrespective of that performance, you will never be more or less righteous. Today, you and I, if we are saved, are as righteous as we will be when we stand before God one day in eternity. Thank you, Lord. So we don't need to perform these things that we need to do Don't come because we are afraid of what will happen if we don't do them. Neither do they come because we're looking forward to some kind of reward if we do them. No. You know what Paul says? That it's Christ's love that compels us. We are so overwhelmed by how much He loves us. Often people have such a wrong idea of God. We think that God is waiting for us to make that mistake so he can hit us with his big stick. But he loves us. And all he desires is for us to respond to that love with faith first. But then to add to that faith the goodness and the knowledge and so on. You know, relationships are, I don't know. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't say that you need to understand your wife. All it says is that you need to love her. And that's a good thing. It was earlier in this year, not so long ago, that my wife and I were having some trouble in our marriage. Ended up with us going to see a psychologist. And in the counseling, the psychologist gave us this bit of advice, who he said, which I thought was quite bold of him. He said that if you do this, I can guarantee you that your marriage will work. We sat on the edge of our seats because we need to hear this thing. He looked at me and said to me, Grant, your goal in this marriage must be to make your wife happy. (laughs) It's a true story. But He also looked at Lenore and he said to her that your goal in this marriage is to make Grant happy. (laughs) Can I tell you something? When I made that my goal, not expecting to get anything in return, not expecting her to to do the things that I wanted her to do, but to try and study her and understand what is it that my wife needs. And can I tell you something? Some of her needs were unreasonable. (laughs) Serious. Some of the things that I did, now my love language is words of affirmation, and for some of those things, I needed affirmation. You know the thing that God was teaching me in this is that I must get my affirmation from him and not from her. And so God showed me that I need to love. You know, often they speak of marriage as being 50-50. And I think that's where we get it wrong. Because if I'm here and my wife is there and both of us are giving 50-50 and one of us comes short, and we will. And don't be surprised when your spouse fails you, hurts you, or disappoints you because they are a sinner and so are you. And so if we're both giving 50-50 and someone comes short, there's always a gap. But God says, In Ephesians chapter 5, how are husbands supposed to love our wives? All the way. Like Christ loved the church and gave His life for her. Irrespective of how we responded while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and gave His life for us. And so it's in response to that love that we now add to our faith goodness knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Romans 12 verse 1 starts by saying, therefore, and the therefore that it's referring to is actually everything that it's talking about from Romans 1 verse 1 to the last verse of Romans chapter 11, that while we were sinners and wages of sin is death, but the gift of God that even though I do the things I shouldn't do and don't do the things I should do, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of those verses that basically wrap up the gospel, according to Paul, he says, therefore, in view of all of that mercy, what is your response? To offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And so, yes, there are works to do, but we don't do them to earn God's favor. Actually, if anything, those Items on that list. They're not a checklist or rather a to do list. We, often we do that. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Oh my goodness, I need to love some more. This week, I'm going to try and love more. Mm. It doesn't work because there's nothing good within myself. They are called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. God, I need your Holy Spirit more. There is work for us to do, but we don't have the power to do it. So I'm going to close by reading a passage that I read at least a few words that I purposefully avoided at the start of my reading. 2 Peter chapter 5, chapter 1, sorry, verse 5. For this very reason, I don't know if anyone noticed I left that out the first time. I left it out because I was worried that the eagle-eyed among you might say, sorry, Grant, you said for this very reason and you said we want to be interactive. Uh, What reason are we talking about? I'll tell you, verse 3 and verse 4 tells us, and the heading is making one's calling and election sure. Peter's saying, you can actually be sure if you're going to heaven or not. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His own goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, you can actually make your calling sure. Firstly, verse 3, we have access to the power of God. You and me in ourselves, we can't do what God requires. So what is our responsibility? What is our work? The Holy Spirit gives us the power. But He's not just going to supernaturally zap us with the power. What He desires is for us to align our lives in such a way that His Spirit can work in our lives to bring about the change that He requires, to bring about the goodness and the knowledge and the self-control and all the other qualities. He also gives us in verse 4 the promises of God, beautiful promises that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us, beautiful promises that says that He who began this good work in us, He began it, He will complete it. Beautiful promises that we We read in Scripture when we read the benediction that says, Now unto Him who is able to keep us from falling promises where He says He is with us even to the end of the age. You see, God's grace, this amazing grace in which we find forgiveness and mercy and love results in godliness. The works become the evidence of that faith. I want to close with this illustration, and it's an illustration that beautifully depicts our activity in God's transforming work in our lives. You see, when it comes to salvation, we passive. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It is by grace that we have been saved. We just need to believe, put our faith in the fact that Jesus died for us on Calvary. He was on the cross in your place and in my place. I don't need to do it. I just need to receive it. And I thank the Lord for that. But when it comes to my transformation, God expects me to be active, very active. If you've ever watched one of those yachtsmen that's operating one of those yachts, especially when they're doing it single-handedly, where they don't have a motor, there are no oars, All that is propelling that yacht or that sailboat forward is the fact that those sails are aligned in such a way that they catch the wind. Wind that the sailor himself, by the way, can't make or create. Wind that comes from God. But once he's got his sails just right, he catches that wind and he moves forward through the water. He can't create the wind. He doesn't know when it's going to start or end, but what he is responsible for is making sure that those sails are aligned, and that's not a passive exercise. He doesn't just sit there on the deck catching a tan. He needs to get up on the mast. He needs the ropes, and there's pulleys, and he needs to make sure that those sails and its strenuous work, likewise for you and me, In allowing the Holy Spirit to do his transforming, his sanctifying work in our lives, I need to align my life in such a way that God's Holy Spirit can do his work. How do we do this? Within classic Christianity, we have these things that we call spiritual disciplines. And they're classic not just because they're old, but because they work. Study the Word. Feast on the Word. God, what are you saying? Well, if you want to know what God is saying, find out what His Word says. Prayer. Fasting. Confession. I'm not talking about the kind of confession that this is just between me and the Lord. I'm talking about biblical confession that we read about in James 5 that says confess your sins to one another so that you can pray for one another and that God can forgive you. That's through fellowship, fellowship, worship, service, generosity, purity, disciple-making, evangelism. These are disciplines that you and I are to be engaged in, to show that that faith that we have is genuine, to show that that faith is real. And then lastly, we see the results. Verse 10 and 11 of 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can know that we are saved We can know that we are one of the chosen, the elect. We can make that calling sure by adding to our faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness and love. Let's pray. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask that we continue to be interactive and continue to be responsive. And I'd like to put two challenges to us here this morning. The first challenge, as we heard the summary of the gospel that God created us for relationship with him. But we went our own way. And through the sin of Adam and Eve, yes, but also through our own sin and disobedience. We don't have a relationship with God. God desires nothing more than to be in relationship with you. It's why he sent Jesus to this earth. And if there's anyone here today who has never made that commitment to say, I give my life to God, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to receive that forgiveness and that love and that grace that you spoke about in this message. If there's any such a person, I'm going to ask, I'm not going to ask you to stand or come to the front. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can include you in this closing prayer. If there's any such person here today, you can raise your hand now. The second part of my appeal is for the rest of us. Maybe you have faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have accepted Him as your Savior. But the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to you today and challenged you to add to that faith these qualities that may be lacking in your life. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand as an acknowledgement that You can't do it on your own, but that you commit to engaging in the study of God's word, prayer, fasting, confession, worship, and fellowship, and spiritual disciplines that align your life in such a way that the Holy Spirit can do His transforming work in your lives. Feel free to raise your hands. I'll include you in this closing prayer. Thank you, Lord. You can drop your hands. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth. Your word itself declares that it will not return to you empty, but it will always accomplish your purposes. And Lord, we believe your purpose has been for us to hear this word today. We pray that as we have committed by raising our hands to be courageous in aligning our lives with with the purpose of your will, in such a way that your Holy Spirit can do his work. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will reveal to each one of us that has raised our hands what the next step for us is, and that you will give us boldness and courage to put that step into practice. Lord, we pray that you will not allow the enemy to steal this word from us, I know a message like this lands in so many different places, Father God, but I pray for good soil where this word will germinate and produce a harvest so that we won't be unproductive and ineffective. I pray for us now that we would be effective and that we would be productive for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.